Welcome back to Movies That Matter. I'm your host, Chris Flaherty. Thank you for joining us. I hope you've had a nice and safe and happy holiday season so far. And today, to celebrate the holiday season, we're talking A Christmas Carol. We're doing something a little bit different today because A Christmas Carol has been adapted many, many times over the years. And we're talking about several different ones that have made their mark on pop culture and history and the legacy of this Christmas classic. And my guest today is Alan Folds. Alan, welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much for inviting me. This is going to be fun. I know. I'm excited. Uh, Alan is a local author and historian, producer of the It's Also History podcast, which you can also find here on the BCAT network, Uh, town moderator of Reading, Massachusetts, producer of a Revolution 250 series for Lynn Field called Lynn End in the Revolution, and a very big fan of A Christmas Carol. (laughs) That's right. By far my favorite Christmas story. (laughs) Yeah. I I think it's a lot of people's favorite. It's definitely one of mine's. as we can see, it, it's definitely made its impact on the world for how many versions that uh, right. have come I, from television, film, radio, all that good stuff. I tried to count last night, and if you're talking just a strict, straight story with with real people in it, I counted 19, and I probably didn't even get them all. I don't, I, I don't even think I could count them all, honestly, yeah. because you have, like, these little ones where, like, a television show just, like, sort of satires it for half an hour, and then you have, like, the bigger right. film adaptations. Um, so... Let's just get into, like, the general... Actually, I, I wanted to touch on this first because your episode last year really inspired this, the idea about... or the the story about Jacob Marley's potential connections to Lowell, Massachusetts. Do you mind if we touch on that for a little sure, bit? Sure, that sounds uh, like a good idea. All right, so can you tell... How is Jacob Marley um, connected to Lowell, Massachusetts? Well, to be honest, it's a tenuous stretch, but it's kind mm. of interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, a few years ago, a, a woman did a lot of research on... Um, his visit to the Boston area, uh, Charles Dickens' visit right. to Boston mm-hmm. area back in 1842. Mm-hmm. He looked at Boston as his American home. That's what he called it. Yeah. He spent about five months living at the Parker House mm-hmm. on Tremont Street in Boston. And then from there, he went off to Philadelphia, to New York. But one of his trips, he took a train trip up mm-hmm. to Lowell because Lowell was a brand-new mill city. He mm-hmm. had grown up in mill cities in England, old ones. Mm-hmm. And he went up, and first of all, he was very impressed. Of course, the city was brand-new. Mm-hmm. And he had lunch with um, a group of people called the Mill Girls. It was young women, mostly of Scottish, Irish, and English descent, who mm-hmm. were working in the mills. And he was struck by how uh, clean and presentable they were, and but also how knowledgeable they were, how mm-hmm. educated. A- at the end of the lunch, he discovered that they had produced a magazine, a literary magazine called mm-hmm. A Lowell Offering. Mm-hmm. And he was interested in it. And uh, so before the end of the day, before he headed back to Boston, the, the women had given him several copies of the books to read, and he mm-hmm. spent the night reading them. At least three of them were about Christmas, mm-hmm. and one particularly stuck in his mind. It was called A Visit from Hope. It was all about this young woman in a mill in presumably Lowell, yeah. um, despairing about her life. Things weren't going well, and uh, she, at midnight, suddenly a figure appeared in her room. It mm-hmm. was this man, a very small man with long uh, silver hair parted in the middle. She couldn't mm-hmm. tell if he was old or young. Mm-hmm. And this spirit, as it turned out to be, took her through her past to show her mm-hmm. how life used to be better and how it could be better again. So by the end, she was saying, I am going to live in the past, the present, and the future. Right. Lines almost exactly yeah. out of A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. Now, you can say, did Charles Dickens plagiarize? That's not the way it was looked on. Right. Most of his story came from his own past, of course. He mm-hmm. worked in a 
boot blacking uh, factory when he was at the age of 10 when his yes. father was hauled off to prison for a debtor's prison. Mm-hmm. It was things like that that really shaped the story. Mm-hmm. But who knows? This one piece about the ghost bringing him into the yeah. past sounds so familiar. Yeah, it's fascinating yeah. to think that A Christmas Carol um, almost had some origins just right up Route 3. Right up the right, right up Route 3. So, uh, Alan, this this sort of gets ridiculous. The more popular the story is when I ask this, but, you know, for formality's sake, in your own words, can you tell me what the story is about? <laughs> well, in case anybody doesn't know, which yeah, is in not case, too likely, yeah. <laughs> it's a story about redemption. It's about this crusty old, covetous, clutching old miser who uh, doesn't like anybody, doesn't spend money on anybody or anything, including himself. Mm-hmm. All he cares about is just amassing a fortune. And... Uh, he is visited by four spirits, Jacob Marley, plus the ghosts of the past, present, and the future, to show him what life used to be like and how it could be in the future. Eventually, of course, at the end, he is redeemed, and he mm-hmm. returns to his old personality. Right. Um, do you remember, did you read the book first? Did you see a certain version first? Or? Well, when we first talked about doing this, I had to give it some thought. Mm-hmm. I can't be sure, because I was so young, but... The first time I remember the story, I was about four or five years old. Mm-hmm. I, I suspect now that my parents had dumped me off at my grandmother's house <laughs> while they went Christmas shopping. <laughs> As one does. As one does. Mm-hmm. So I was there, and I remember sitting watching, having a cup of cocoa, watching this, I, th- I believe it was the 1951 Alistair Sim version. Mm-hmm. And I just was taken with it. I just yeah. liked it so much. I told my brother about it when I got home, and we watched it when it was on again a couple of weeks later. Mm-hmm. And then I kept watching that version. And then I read the book fairly at a fairly young age. Um, mm-hmm. I was either in first or second grade. It was probably my first book aimed at adults that mm-hmm. I read. And uh, it was easy because it was, first of all, it was only five chapters or five yeah, staves. Five staves, yeah. yeah. Um, and I knew the story already, mm-hmm. and it was illustrated. <laughs> yeah. I remember back in the day um, in middle school, we read it for uh, language arts one year. And it was sort of, they sort of turned it into a play, whatever the manuscript was. And uh, I was very proud to say that I was the ghost of Christmas past. <laughs> I, I think that's my, that's my go-to role if I ever cast a production of A Christmas Carol. Um, but what made you fall in love with the story? Well, I think part of it is just the memory of sitting there watching it. Mm-hmm. And then again, being the first real book I read. And it's a Christmas story. It takes yeah. place at Christmas, which is already a, a happy time. Sure. Yeah. And uh, so uh, it's become a, a tradition. I have watched at least one version or read the book every year of my life. Mm-hmm. Probably multiple movies each year, too. Yeah. I think I've watched at least six versions so far this year. <laughs> and I, I, do th- I think I find a new version every year. To add to the library. I do, too. It's surprising that I think here I, I think I know a lot about this subject. There's always a new one that I didn't know yeah. about. Mm-hmm. Um, are there any particular elements of the stories or the characters that you really connect with? Well, it's funny. A lot of people talk about uh, Scrooge himself. You know, you could, you could relate with him or maybe um, uh, Bob Cratchit. Mm-hmm. The one that sticks out to me is his nephew, Fred. Yes. Fred is like the nicest guy in the world. He mm-hmm. He's only relative, only living blood relative is his uncle Ebenezer Scrooge. Mm-hmm. And he is going to try to convince him to come to dinner. Yeah. He does it every year. He says he's going to keep his good humor to the last. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter how much abuse Ebenezer dumps on him. He just smiles and, and still invites him to dinner. Mm-hmm. And he's not, um, his eyes are wide open. I mean, he, yeah. he, when the Christmas, goes to Christmas present, is at the party. Yes. 
He's making fun of his uncle just like everyone else sure, is. Sure, yeah. But despite that, he mm-hmm. still wants him to come, and he's going to ask him to come every year. I just yeah. like that optimism. Yeah, you, it's very admirable, Fred's unwavering optimism. Yeah. And I noticed this something as I watch like more and more versions all the time, and I don't know if you've ever noticed it, but Scrooge always says his nephew is poor. He's like, why are you so happy? You're like, you're so poor. But then when we go at the coast of Christmas present to Fred's house, we see Fred's kind of well off. Yeah, you're right. Like he's yeah. throwing a reasonably extravagant party. So it just makes me wonder, what does Scrooge think is poor? <laughs> right. That's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. And that's true of all of the uh, the uh, versions too. Yeah, I know. I've, I've, I'm looking for like one that shows like Fred is actually poor and Actually, maybe the 1910 one kind of does, but we'll get into that. So the first one on our list is the silent film from 1910. Um, is that like the oldest surviving? Well, actually, there's one as early as 1901, which okay. I'd look at it as more of an experimental thing. It's mm-hmm. six minutes long. Mm-hmm. And if you hadn't read the story, you would have no idea what was going on. Right, yeah. yeah. And, um, it, but they try some fancy things, and mm-hmm. they tried to make the door knocker turn into Marley's uh, yeah, Marley's face, yeah. They didn't do a great job, but mm-hmm. of course there was no premiere or final cut back then. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, 1906, there was one that was made in the United States, although from what I understand, it's lost. Mm-hmm. It was made in Chicago, and it was a little bit longer. I think it was about, um, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then in 1910, is the first real attempt. That was Edison yeah. that made that one. Mm-hmm. What I like about that one was Edison did play around with some special effects. Yeah. Marley's ghost is... Transparent. You can see through them. Yeah, right through them. In the book, um, uh, Dickens talks about uh, Scrooge being able to see the buttons on the back of um, Marley's waistcoat right through his body. Mm -hmm. Well, that's the way it is in this 1910 silent movie, and it's it's pretty cool the way they did it. It was very cool. And I also like how, like, the the flashbacks are sort of, like, half-faded. Like, they they set up the shot where there's, like, there's a lot of open space, and then you see, like, the flashbacks from the past and the present. Right. And, like, you're watching them with Scrooge. I think that's really... A good touch. Yeah. Um, something that really stuck out with me is we actually see Scrooge die in this silent version, in this 1910 version. That's right. Where, that's like, right, he's, yeah. like, gagging on the... Yeah. And I'm like, wow, that, that's dark. That's right. that, that was a little out of the uh, mm-hmm. character in the book, but you're right, it is a little dark. Yeah. And what fascinated me is there's no Tiny Tim in this right. one. there's no yeah. Tiny Tim. That's a good point. And um, I also felt like Bob Cratchit was kind of minimized in this story. Yep. Like, yeah, yeah. Well, they only had about 15, 20 minutes. Right, I mean, only 15, 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah. um, and I, we were talking about Fred. It seems like Fred, and I could be misinterpreting this, but Fred is almost rejected by a woman in the present day, I think. Yes, yes, yeah. I remember that now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I always thought that was sad, yeah. to see Fred face hardship. Yeah. Yeah. Those early ones didn't really adhere to the book too much. Yeah, <laughs> they had liberties. I think there was yeah. only... Two ghosts in that one. Two, right, right. Yeah, or it was one guy playing three. Yeah. Um, do you remember how you first came upon the 1910 version? I went looking for them. I knew, yeah. I, I had heard somewhere that there were silent movies before the, the 1935 yeah. uh, uh, Seymour Hicks version. Mm-hmm. And I went looking. It was confusing because Seymour Hicks was in one of those silent movies back in 1913. Yes. So his name kept coming up, and mm-hmm. I kept thinking, it's not what I want. I want these, this Edison version. Mm-hmm. And then finally, I actually w- went back from there. Edison was the first one I really found, and then I went back and found there were even older ones. Mm-hmm. And if you look out on the, um, some of the histories of it, they refer to the 1901 as the, first, as the oldest existing one. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's almost implying there was something even before that. Yeah. 
It's interesting uh, to think about lost media, where this stuff could have gone. And sometimes they pop up later. Mm-hmm. When I first uh, discovered the 1901 version, uh, all the notes said that nobody knows who played Scrooge. That's been lost to history. Now wow. you look out there, and it's Daniel Smith. They say very obvious. So somebody came across it somewhere along the way. Maybe they'll find some of these other movies. That's amazing. And, you know, you think how many different actors have played Scrooge throughout the years. Oh, I know, I know. And you probably couldn't name them all. I oh. mean, um, so what do you think this – I know we've, we've kind of criticized it a little bit. What do you think the silent 1910 version does better than other adaptations, if any? I don't know if it does anything better, but like I said, I was impressed with Edison's attempts at, uh, at special effects. He did a pretty good job considering did, the yeah. era. Mm-hmm. But um, I don't think other than that, I, don't, I can't imagine it really was better than anything else because he didn't no. really tell the story. No, it was, it was the Spark Notes version. Right, right. Yeah. Um, we've talked about like any other interesting facts about the history of this one you want to share? Of 1910? That's yeah. about all I know about it. Um, <laughs> except, like I said, the see-through Marley really impressed me. <laughs> yeah. No, that was good. I was very impressed for something like at that time. Yeah. Um, should we skip ahead to 1935? I think so, yeah. With uh, Seymour Hicks? Seymour Hicks. Now, one quick thing to go back. He had, he had made a version back in 1913, a silent movie. Yeah. And he played Scrooge as sort of a like a prime of life kind of guy. He wasn't really mm-hmm. all that young. Yeah. And ironically enough, it was called Old Scrooge was the name of the okay. movie. But 1935, I look at that as the first real mo- modern type. I mean, it's not mm-hmm. all that modern now. It's almost 100 years old. But mm-hmm. it's sort of a modern version. It was a full-length movie. Yep. I really liked that one because mm-hmm. it made Scrooge look like what I, at least from my opinion, what he looked like in the book. Mm-hmm. Scrooge didn't spend money on anybody, including himself. Yeah. And in this movie, he's wearing threadbare clothes. His hair is all yeah. over the place. And <laughs> I know that he's yeah. very disheveled in this, this movie. Yeah. 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 And one particular scene I liked in it mm-hmm. is the opening, or almost the opening, when um, Cratchit is coming in late to work. This mm-hmm. is before Christmas, but yeah. Christmas Eve day. Mm-hmm. And Scrooge has got his back to him. Yeah. He says, what do you mean coming in here at this hour of the mm-hmm. day? And it almost like Scrooge. Scrooge had eyes in the back of his head. Yeah. Then you see this quick pan, and Scrooge is looking in the mirror, watching the door. Oh, and I just thought yeah. it was kind of a, a cool mm-hmm. little effect. I thought the introduction to Hicks in that movie was very interesting because we don't see him from the front for a while. Right. right. And, it, like, the way he's hunched over and he's disheveled, I I almost thought, like, are they setting Scrooge up to be some sort of Lon Chaney type oh, like, yeah, right. half monster thing? Yeah, yeah. And it's kind of true because, as we said, like, he's very disheveled. He doesn't really take care of himself. Yeah. Which I, it's something from the book that... I think a lot of versions haven't really touched upon. Um, any interesting fun facts about this one you want to share? Um, well, one thing, uh, Philip Frost, who played the um, uh, Tiny Tim, mm-hmm. is still around. Is he really? He, he wow. stopped making movies in 1946. He's wow. still alive. I believe he's 98 or 99 today, wow. but he's still around. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, one criticism I have of that movie. Yeah, no, go ahead. Yeah, well, um, let's get into it. They spend too much time leading up to the ghosts. There's one scene mm. in there where there's a, a royal banquet or something. I was going to ask you about yeah. that, yeah. I don't know what has to do with the story other than maybe showing what the times were like. Yeah. But they spend so much time, by the time they get to the ghost of the past, it's like we're watching a quick slideshow. <laughs> yeah. It, it, the, the ghost of Christmas past really just skims over everything. Right. And we just see this sort of, I, I compare it to a soap opera, the breakup of Bell and Scrooge. Right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, wow, we, we need to know about his father and his sister and everything. Right. But I will say, I, I don't know, I read up on it. I was like, what does 
the banquet scene have to do with this? And some people say it's sort of a juxtaposition of Scrooge having like the meager tavern dinner because Scrooge is supposed to pro- potentially be as wealthy as those people, right? but right. he chooses well, not to be. That's a good point. As I said at the beginning, mm-hmm. it was clear that he had the money, but he didn't spend it on even himself. No. He, just, he, he was know. amassing money. That was his whole purpose in life. Yeah. Um, but, but again, I was, I was like, it slowed it down for me. It did, yeah. yeah. Uh, what did you think about the portrayal of the other ghosts in that one? The betray- like uh, Jacob Marley. Like, we don't see Jacob Marley. Oh, in right, that. right. Yeah, yeah, we just hear you his just voice. just hear his voice. Yeah. In a way, it, it, it was different than all of the other movies. He was yeah. just, and, and he was the only, he says something like, you're the only one who can see me or something right. like that. And it's true because we can't see Yeah, him. and it's, it's kind of creepy because we, we, we don't know what he's looking at. Right. You just hear this disembodied voice, somebody yeah. off screen somewhere. Yeah. That is a good point. It's a, I actually liked that in a way mm-hmm. because... He didn't look like this crazy ghost that you see in some of the other ones. Right, the uh, disheveled, like the trench coat and stuff. And he's got his head tied so his jaw doesn't fall off. Right, right, right. But it was uh, the fact that you don't see him makes it kind of spooky. And in 1935 standards, that was probably pretty pretty out there. Yeah. And then the Ghost of Curses Pass is just like a ambiguous light. Right, right. Which I guess, because it came from the candle in the book, right? Right, yeah. right. It came from the candle. It grew out of the candle. Right? Yep. And but I don't... I don't... Yeah, I'm not sure if it was done for special effects or yeah. keeping the, the um, costs down. Yeah. I don't know. But it was it, it was effective. Yeah. And the ghost of yet, yet to come, I thought, was interesting because we never see him either. Right. But we just see his shadow. Which right. Which is very... Um, and very ominous. Yeah, yeah, very... And yeah. Scrooge is almost in the shadow during that time. I yeah. thought that was interesting. Like, it's a dark shadow of looming over him of what could come. Yeah, I wouldn't look at it as a perfect movie, but I think it was way ahead of its time. Yeah, no, the, some of the special effects, and yeah. again, Seymour Hicks, he had, he's played Scrooge for a long time yeah, before this yeah. came out, yeah, and he did it very well. I actually consider him my favorite Scrooge. <laughs> yeah, I, I have a new favorite Scrooge, and we'll get to that one okay. next. But um, I there was a couple of things I wanted to mention to you. Um, how in the end, we talked about him being disheveled and stuff, and then how at the end of the movie we see, like, the clothes change, right, the more right. colorful, vibrant, and he's cleaned his hair up. Yeah. I thought that was a nice touch. Um, and um, you're the Christmas Carol expert, so I <laughs> wanted to ask you this. I always wonder, does Scrooge know that he's dead before he approaches the gravestone, or is he just, like, that oblivious to the world that he does not understand that, like, I think that's one no, of the you're dead. Big questions. I think he has to have known, or at least he was really worried it was him. Right. He didn't want to look. And he right, like, yeah. he brought him into his house, and, like, that's your bed. Yeah, and so how could he not know? Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, in some interpretations, I definitely think, like, he is stupid, and he doesn't realize <laughs> that he's dead, and we'll get into that version later. But, um... Should we fast forward three years to 1938? Sure. It's funny that it was only three years. Yeah. It was a fairly big production in 35 and another mm-hmm. one in 1938. Yeah. It's like a whole different atatmosphere. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's more of a feel-good movie. It mm-hmm. seems like, yes. to me anyway, that the only complaint I have about that is it seems like Scrooge sees the light too early. Mm-hmm. You know, he's in the... During the ghost of the past, he's already beginning to see what was wrong with his life. You wonder, yeah. what did you need the other two ghosts for? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Even like during the ghost of – he tells the ghost of Christmas present, I do. I do love Christmas. Yeah, right, right. And it's like, oh, okay, all right, we'll just yeah. pack it up and go yeah, home then. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> let's, let's move on to the, mm-hmm. the end scene, yeah. The, mm-hmm. So how did you come across the 1938 version? 
funny thing is, I think I, it was later in life when I saw that. When I, I, I didn't know it existed. I knew 35 existed, and 51 was the one I kind of grew up with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I came across that later on. Actually, it was an interview with June Lockhart, who mm-hmm. was I, you Mrs. Cratchit. Mrs. Cratchit, yep. right. And she had been in Lassie. She was the mother on Lost in Space. She was a fairly mm-hmm. big-time actor back in the 50s, 60s, and 70s. Yeah. Uh, her mother and father play the Cratchits. Mm-hmm. And she plays Belinda, the daughter. Mm-hmm. And uh, she, in this interview I saw when she was up in her 80s or 70s, mm-hmm. uh, talking about what a family tradition it was for them to watch that movie every year. And mm-hmm. even after they were gone, it became even more so because it kind of brought her yeah, family brought back, back to life yeah, yeah. For, the, for the night. That's very nice. Uh, so what, if anything, do you think this, th- this version does better or worse? Well, I think it's a little bit more of a feel-good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you end up really liking Scrooge at the end, maybe yeah. more so than some of the mm-hmm. others. Um, that's probably what I like about it. Uh, maybe I dislike it. Not so much dislike, because I like all of them. Yeah. But I think it's a little bit too feel-goody. Like I said, he, he Scrooge becomes a nice guy too fast in it. It doesn't develop the way I felt it should. Mm-hmm. And it, it do- definitely does stray away from the horror moments and stuff. Yes, right. Yeah. I do like how this one sort of shows more of Fred and Bob's lives outside of like their interaction with Scrooge. Like we see the church scene where everyone interacts. I thought that was nice. Right, right. Yeah. And then Fred joins the Cratchits for the dinner and stuff. I like yeah. that. Right, he didn't join them in any of the others. In fact, he made it a secret where the, the turkey right. was coming yeah, from. Yeah, sometimes yeah. he doesn't go to the Cratchits' right. house in some versions. Yeah. Um, let me see. I want to check my notes. Uh, I definitely think Reginald Owen is one of my new favorite Scrooges. Yeah, yeah. I love his performance. And I don't know if you've ever seen the 2009, like, 3D one with Jim Carrey. I have. I've, I definitely saw like similarities in the yeah. performance yeah. and the mannerisms and stuff there. I had some trepidation going to see that. Yeah. I saw it at the IMAX theater. And mm-hmm. I ended up thinking, they did a really good job with this. They I did, was, yeah. I was surprised. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't love the, um, I don't love that motion capture yeah, thing. Yeah. Like the, there's no life behind the eyes right, and the right, face right. and stuff. I did like that Jim Carrey played all three versions of the ghosts too. Yes, I thought that was a nice like reflection on Scrooge's character. Um, this I had, and again, I really need to read the original book more. But um, Scrooge makes Fred his partner at the end of this one, not Bob Cratchit. I thought that was interesting. Right, and in the book, none of that happens. <laughs> none of that. Ha- yeah. Nobody's made he partner. Does, he does give him a raise. But he gives him a raise, but yeah. no partnership. Yeah. Okay, and let me see. One second. I thought the priest, like, scaring everyone away from the ice slide so he could play with it himself. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That was kind of cute, yeah. Um, I love, again, like, it's always fascinating fascinating when adaptations find, like, new angles to explore. Like, that opening scene where Fred meets Tiny Tim and Peter Cratchit. Oh, right, right. Yeah, and then they find out, like, oh, this is Scrooge's nephew, and then they just book it out of there. Yeah. Because they think, like, oh, they're (laughs) in trouble and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought it was weird that, Scrooge apparently has, like, this weird asphyxiation for cough medicine in this film. I don't know if you noticed that. Funny, I don't remember. Well, now it's coming back, now that you say it. I do remember that. Like, he, like they went to get a, gla- a glass for the port of wine, Fred and Bob. Yeah. And then, like, Fred's like, what was in this? And he's like, cough medicine. <laughs> and then, like, when Scrooge gets home, he almost he's, like, licking the remains of a cough medicine bottle. 
And I'm like, is that just because he's too cheap to buy alcohol? Or And then I thought, oh, is it foreshadowing that he's going to die soon unless he changes his ways? I had no idea. I don't know. It was strange. Maybe the actor had a cold. (laughs) Maybe he did. Just trying to keep the stuff on hand. I don't know. That's a good question. But yeah, uh, to talk about the transformation of Scrooge, it was crazy when he was like, like it almost woke me up because I I wasn't falling asleep, but uh, like it caught my attention when he goes like, I do, I do like Christmas. And I'm like, oh, is we skipping the last ghost now? Yeah. yeah. But I thought it was a nice juxtaposition thinking like, oh, he's okay. He's redeemed now. So he's like, oh, I'm just going to go to bed and be happy. No, you're not. You, you got one you more got lesson. one more to go, uh, yeah. yeah. So anything else you'd like to touch on on 1938? I think that's probably about it. Okay. Yeah. Um, should we jump a, a little further ahead to 1970 with Albert Finney? Sure, yeah. Now, I'm more of a purist. I like mm. the original story. But I have mm-hmm. to say, I like the, the music from that, too. I thought that was I pretty do. good. It's my f- sister's favorite one, I know. <laughs> yeah. I, I have an interesting story on how I came across this one. Um, the Thank You Very Much song. Yeah. I was first introduced to this as a young lad when um, I think it was Simon Maw gift cards. Like, they were using it in their commercials f- f- to, like, promote gift cards. I remember that, yeah. And, like, I don't know, like, probably, like, I want to say five years ago, like the song popped back into my head and I'm like, where's that from? And so I just typed in, thank you very much, Christmas song. And then I came to this scene and I was just sort of, I I was almost like taken aback because like, oh, they really took that song out of context. Yeah. (laughs) But I think that's what I really like about this one because it's got a lot of dark British humor in that. Right. Yeah. Um, Did you enjoy Albert Finney as Scrooge? Yeah, I thought he was a good Scrooge. Yeah, I, I, yeah he did a good job. Mm-hmm. I never, he's very young, like when he's playing, like I guess he's got a lot of makeup and stuff yeah, on, prosthetics. Yeah. And when we see him in the flashback, that's that's the original Albert Finney right there. Yeah. Um, and I, this one, we talked about how like things, sort, some versions sort of stray away from the horror aspect. This one definitely leans into it. Yes. Yeah, with the, uh, the scare, like, well, uh, Marley takes him flying through the, uh, I don't even know what to say, like the spirits flying around. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. Yeah. And then we see the um, the stagecoach that goes through the the large hall in his house. Well, right. Yeah. 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 I, I, that's from the original book, right? To I, Yes, it is, yeah. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm always fascinated when Scrooge ends up in hell at the end of this yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. They, um, now that's not from the book. <laughs> that's not from the book. I know that. Um, they, sh- they showed parts of this to us in elementary school, and they tried to stop the tape before he went to hell because you know it was the early nineties. You don't want to scare children. Yeah. Um, but they didn't stop it just in time, and so I think a lot of children were traumatized when you saw the face of the Ghost of Christmas Future. Oh yeah, which is not something you normally see at all in any version. Right. Yeah. So this one definitely leans into the horror. Um, George C. Scott, 1984. What do you I, think of that I one? like that version. Mm-hmm. Um, he, George C. Scott seemed more like a more normal businessman. Like a, I, I guess in a way they were trying to modernize it. He seemed like – he didn't seem like the crasping, clutching, covetous mm-hmm. old sinner like he is in the book. Yeah. But he did do a good job, and it is a, it's a well-made version of it. Yeah. And George C. Scott, he's very – He's much more reserved, I think, than other Scrooge. I guess that's what I'm saying, yeah. too. Yeah, he's more reserved, yeah. But, like, you definitely see, like, with his voice and demeanor, there's, like, 
something brooding beneath the surface, yeah, something yeah. a little more sinister and conniving. Um, and he's also, he's much more, I don't know, how do I say it? He's more snarky than most Scrooges, I right. think. But, you know, in the original book, mm-hmm. he, Scrooge was a little snarky. And he, I do like the way that came out. I mean, yeah. when you think of the line when he's talking with um, Marley in the book, mm-hmm. he doesn't believe Marley's real. And right. Marley says to him, what, why do you not believe your senses? And mm-hmm. he says, because a small thing affects them, a lot of mustard, a underdone potato. Mm-hmm. And then he says, and it's a real, it's a funny, it's a throwaway line. It's more of gravy than of grave in you. Yeah. It's really funny, but you don't think of it that way. Right, yeah. Um, do you remember the first time you saw 1984, if at all? I believe that was a made-for-TV movie, and I think I saw it the night it was on. Really? Yeah. I, wow. I, although it looks like a full cinematic production, I believe that was a, a made-for-TV movie. If not, it mm-hmm. was shortly after it came out. Okay. What did you think of the Ghost of Christmas Present in this version? What? He, uh, re- refresh my memory. What? He He's definitely not. Like the Ghost of Christmas Present is definitely a, a jovial spirit. Right, right. But in this version, it seemed like he's really pissed off. It's oh, Scrooge. yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah you remember that now. Yeah. Right. You're right. The other one, he says, come in, come in and know me better, man. It's like a real, almost like Santa Claus. Yeah. And then in that one, you're right. He's He doesn't like Scrooge. No, <laughs> and he not makes at it clear. all. Right. Yeah, like he's yelling at him and you yeah. know, saying, like, you're worthless compared to millions like Tiny Tim. Right. And then the something you don't see a lot in adaptations is ignorance and want right yeah the two children under the robes yeah and that that kind of scared me when i first watched it yeah <laughs> when i'm like oh these are like two very sickly children that's been hiding under his robe the whole time and then you know the music and the cinematography definitely helps that right, as well right so is do you think anything this version do you think it lacks anything compared to other versions um well like i said i don't know if it lacks it but he seems a little less um, of a caricature. In the book, he's a caricature of a, a miser. Yeah. He, he seems more like an average, everyday miser that you'd see today. Somebody mm-hmm. who, who doesn't really care about anybody, but he's yeah. not really over the top about it. Mm-hmm. So it's probably more like a realistic person. Yeah. But it isn't quite as true to the book as some of the others. Yeah. He's definitely a more intelligent Scrooge, you think? Right. We do see him as a businessman, like at the Trade Center, like, ta- like trying to make deals with the court. Yeah, he's like dealing in corn. Yeah, which I was like, oh, Scrooge deals in corn. Okay, <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely one of the smart, smarter I think than Albert Finney Scrooge. Right, because right. I mean, Albert Finney Scrooge is like, oh, everybody's like saying, singing this song through the streets about how thankful they are to me, and it's like, nope. <laughs> <laughs> oh, let's see. What's... Oh, something I, I don't think we've touched on at all, and maybe because it's not in the other versions, is Scrooge's father in this one. We meet Scrooge's father in this version. Right, right. And he's only um, kind of referenced. Yeah. Basically through his younger sister. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought that was interesting because often when we see him in other versions, it's like, oh, father's so much happier now. He wants you to come home. Right. And I was like, okay, his life is going to get a little bit better. But in this version, it sort of undercuts it because he's like, yeah, you're, you're coming home for three days, and then I'm shipping you off to work. Yeah. <laughs> and I just love how George C. Scott, like, stands behind his younger self and just stares, like, daggers at his father. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's something that is very important to the story, like the generational trauma that Scrooge has suffered. I think it's very important to understand, and not that I'm saying, like, or I'm telling teacher filmmakers how to 
make their Christmas Carol adaptations. Yeah. But I think it's very important to understand, you know, where Scrooge is coming from. Right. And that was kind of to reinforce how he's treated his nephew, Fred. Right. Yeah. So he sees it in himself suddenly. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I do like how we s- there's more time with George C. Scott and Roger Reese, I believe his name is, who plays Fred in that one. I think so. Yeah. I do like how there's more extended time with the two of them, and they're talking about his mother and stuff. I like that. Okay. Uh, I think we're going to get a little silly now. Uh, <laughs> the Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, any thoughts on that one, Alan? Well, it was no Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol. <laughs> okay. We can talk about Mr. Magoo's. Tell me about Mr. Magoo's, because I haven't seen that one in a long time. Uh, then we'll I, talk about No, the I Mupp- haven't either, but what an actor. <laughs> yeah, right? Very good actor. <laughs> I, I, it's funny, I grew up watching Mr. Magoo as well as the real, you know, the, the live action ones. Mm-hmm. I've only seen the Muppet one once, probably when my daughter was young. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a whole lot of memory about it. Mm-hmm. As I think that was where there were a couple of, a couple of um, ghosts or something. There was like a pair of, I think it was, yeah, it was uh, the two uh, guys the, from the... Uh, yeah, the two guys from the yeah, rafters, Statler and Wal- They yeah, were Marley. Yeah. Mar- that's and what then it was, like, like all Marley. the other ghosts are... New Muppets, for yeah. lack of a better phrase. Right, right, right. And I think that's good because then, like, you, the the Muppets aren't eclipsing the story, you know? Like, story is first, Muppets are second in that film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I don't have a, a lot to say about that. Like I said, I've only seen it once, and it was probably 30 years ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do think Michael Caine makes a great Scrooge. And yeah, I, yeah he, I, I do remember yeah. that. He was pretty good in that. Mm-hmm. This, and the, the old story goes, like, they said, like, you, you're, you know, you're playing with Muppets. You can keep it light and funny. And he's like, no, I'm going to play this as serious as possible as if I was working with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Oh, wow. Yeah. And <laughs> it, it pays off because then, like, it, it elevates the film, I think. Right. And yeah. also it's nice to have that serious dramatic performance anchor your film amidst, you know, Kermit the Frog and Gonzo and everything. Right, right. Um and then we have next on our list uh, a version that's turning 40 years old this year is uh, Mickey's Christmas Carol. Do you remember that one? I'll probably put that in the same category as the Muppets. I remember it, but mm-hmm. it's been a long time since I've seen that. Yeah. It, isn't one, it isn't on my annual repertoire. Oh, you've got to add it, Alan. <laughs> yeah. It's a nice short one. Yeah. And it, I think it's a nice gateway, uh, gateway adaptation. Yeah. 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 I, I think that's the first version I ever saw. Yeah, short and sweet. Um, introduce the story perfectly. Doesn't it's it's lighthearted, but there's definitely scary moments, like especially yet to come and stuff. Yeah, but um, yeah. And there's one other version I think we had on our list we wanted to talk about. Um, what was it oh, the American Carol? Now I liked that, even though I don't. I, I generally gravitate toward the ones that stick to the storyline. I really like that they set it in Manchester, New Hampshire, mm-hmm. in the Mill era. Yeah, and it. It was almost more relatable in a way because I come from New England, so mm-hmm. I could, and those buildings are still there. Yeah. So I I could see it. I, I was going to say it's a modern version, but really it was taking place roughly the same time period as the original, maybe mm-hmm. a few years later. Yeah. Um, Henry Winkler was pretty good. I wouldn't say he was my favorite Scrooge mm-hmm. or I think it's oh, it Slade. Scrooge Slade. I think Slade. It, okay. Yeah, same. Yeah. But uh, same story. Exactly the same story. Like he's a business owner and right. He's got a lowly thing. Yeah. Okay. But I liked it because it was sort of a local version of it, even though it was a, a national yeah. movie. And that's, it's interesting that it's New England-based, especially now what we know of uh, Dickens' visit. Right. I yeah. know. I know. 
So maybe the makers of that film knew something we didn't. It could be. Back then. In fact, when I first heard that story about Lowell, mm-hmm. that came to mind. I'm yeah. thinking, that's almost what that movie was. Mm-hmm. When you when you wrote it down in the notes and I looked it up, I was like, oh, okay. Maybe somebody knew something. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. So in all the times you've watched all these different versions of A Christmas Carol through the years, are there any specific like viewings that stick out in your memory, like watching it at a certain Christmas time or like introducing a certain version to someone? Well, two stick out in my mind. One is the very, like I told you earlier, the very first time I saw it, I remember sitting with my grandmother, and that was mm-hmm. kind of special, just that alone. Yeah. The other one was the... Um, the 1935, the Seymour Hicks. Yeah, I didn't. I came across that relatively late in life too. I think I was in. Um, I was just. My daughter had just been born. That's what it was, and okay. I was up late on Christmas Eve putting stuff together for mm-hmm. the next morning, and that version came on television. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I've never seen this version. It was sort of old and scratchy, and yeah, the music yeah, yeah. was sort of off. Mm-hmm. Out of tune, almost. That's just aging it's film, aging. I think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. right. Yeah. But I really took to it. I think mm-hmm. it was because of the moment. Here it was, Christmas Eve, and I'm sitting all alone and watching this movie, and I, mm-hmm. it became maybe my favorite because of that. Mm-hmm. Why do you? Why do you think that one's your favorite, other than that moment in life? Well, it's because Scrooge in there, Seymour Hicks, looked exactly like I pictured him in the book. Okay. He wasn't fancied up, as I said earlier. He wasn't spending money on himself as much as he wasn't spending money on anybody else. Mm-hmm. And um, it was it's sort of dark, mm-hmm. it's, it, it, partly because of the aging of the film, but it's just very dark. Mm-hmm. And you can picture him sitting in this little counting house with no amenities whatsoever. He wouldn't even let um, Cratchit put more coal yeah, on the fire. Yeah, put more coal on the yeah. fire, yeah. Right. And it just fit the mood. And at the end, you know, he's so joyous at the end. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's what the whole point of the movie is. He's, mm-hmm. he's been reborn. Yeah. Um, any other versions outside of film and television? Like, uh, did you ever see the North Shore production? Or was there any, like, book on tape you remember? Um, I saw the North Shore version. I liked that. Mm-hmm. I'll tell you about one I saw just a few years ago. It was a theater group in Reading. Mm-hmm. They put it on. It was a one-person play. He played all the parts, including Dickens. Wow. That's <laughs> he, crazy. And he would just keep bouncing back and forth on the stage. He would quickly switch hats, and he did an excellent job. I, I think that's out on YouTube somewhere. Is too. it? I have to look that Jim, up. Jim Fitzpatrick is Jim the name. Jim Fitzpatrick. Yeah. Okay. And it was the only time he did it. He, okay. he, he had two or three performances for that time, but he's never done it since. Mm-hmm. And it was really uh, moving, and it was all in this little 40, 50-seat theater. Wow. That's amazing. And it was right here at New England, or yeah, it was done in uh, Reading at the oh, okay, yeah, the Colonial Chorus Players is what name of the group. Okay, and Very they have cool. a little theater, it's an old firehouse called the Old Hose House, and it's uh, every year they have a Christmas story, but it's the only year they ever did a Christmas Carol. Wow, that's amazing. I hope it is on YouTube. I'd love to check that out. Um, let's see what here. Uh, what I'm sort of going off off the page here. What do you think makes a good Christmas Carol adaptation? Um, I like a story that kind of slowly, where Scrooge slowly evolves. Like mm-hmm. he starts off the way we all, like we use the term Scrooge today. Yeah. And I, I don't like to see him come around too fast or too slow. I don't like him popping in at the very end. Mm-hmm. It's like you can see pieces of him falling into place through mm-hmm. the, throughout the uh, show, through the past, the present, and the future. Yeah. So you like a nice, evenly paced uh, redemption arc. Right, exactly. Yeah. I, and that's something, I, as we've watched so many versions, like so many different paces of how he goes. Right. Um, 
I even like I realized George C. Scott last night. He's still kind of like rationalizing what he's doing at to the ghost of Christmas present at the very end. Like when he he's he leaves him alone and he's like he's monologuing to himself like I'm a rational human being. Like we can talk this through. Yeah, yeah. And then like then you have like Reginald Owen who's like, No, I love Christmas. Yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> Let's do this. Or even like and then you have like um you have Scrooge McDuck in Mickey's Christmas Carol where he's already like light and cheery like at the end of Christmas past. It's it's very interesting to see how different versions um portray Scrooge and how he sees the light. Right. Um just randomly, do you prefer your Christmas carols uh musicals or not musicals? I prefer them not musicals, but that doesn't okay. mean I don't like the musicals too. Like okay. I said, I haven't seen a bad version of this, but mm-hmm. I I tend toward the ones that stick to Dickens. Okay. Um, what do you think allows audiences to connect with a Christmas Carol after I want to say, I think I did the math last night. It's 180 years since That's the original book right, post. Yeah, yeah. 1843. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think everybody sees a little of themselves in in Scrooge. Maybe mm-hmm. not to the extent that he has, but sure, people get wrapped up in their work or their family or the medical problems, whatever is going on in their life, mm-hmm. and then they sort of forget. There's joy in life, too. And they come yeah. around when, when Christmas comes around. Most people do finally settle down. The shopping is done, and they get yeah. to enjoy the holiday. It's almost like it paces what a normal person's life would be. That's nice. Yeah, And, and it happens right at Christmas time, too. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I, I think it's not just Scrooge. It, I think it's Bob Cratchit and Fred, too. We talked about Fred and his unwavering optimism that I think is really inspiring. But even Bob Cratchit, who has a very tough life, but he still manages to make a Merry Christmas for his family. Good point. Yeah. Even after Tiny Tim is gone in the in that version of the present, yeah, he's still optimistic. Mm-hmm. He's, he has his other family, the rest of his family. Right. It's a very inspiring story. Um, so this is always my final question. Um, why does a Christmas carol matter to you? Well, for some of the reasons I just said, it's really a, it's like a microcosm of life. It's, you get away from all of your problems and maybe your nastiness, maybe you honk your horn at somebody on the way to work <laughs> or whatever, and then you, you kind of settle down and realize there's more important things in life. Mm-hmm. And again, it happens at the holidays. It's, it's, a, it's a, such a holiday tradition. Mm-hmm. If I happen to watch it in July sometime, I'll suddenly get in the Christmas spirit. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. Now, we've, we've blown through, I think, almost more than half a dozen adaptations of A yeah. Christmas Carol. Uh, anything else you'd like to touch on today? I don't know. It sounds like we've covered just about everything. Okay. Um, yeah. I was worried we were going to have, we were going to run out of time. <laughs> but uh, I could t- keep talking about Christmas Carols forever. Yeah. But, Alan, this was amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the well, show. Thank you for inviting me. This was a lot of fun. Got me okay. in the Christmas spirit, and I know I've awesome. got a lot of homework now. I've got to watch Mickey's Christmas Carol. <laughs> I've got to watch. Uh, oh, I could give you a few more if you yeah, want. Yeah, yeah. We didn't even talk about, like, Bill Murray. <laughs> oh, Scrooged. Yeah. Yeah. I, which I haven't seen. You haven't seen. Okay. I haven't seen. Okay, I won't spoil but, the ending. <laughs> okay. I wonder what it could be. <laughs> uh, I hope you come back again, Alan. This was great. Oh, I'm glad to. This yeah. was fun. Uh, folks, um, 
Actually, before we go, uh, you just recorded a new episode of It's Also History, and it's holiday-related. Can you give us a little preview about that? Sure can. It's all about the song Jingle Bells. Okay. And it's uh, roots to Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. It was very likely written in the city of Medford. Oh, wow. About four doors away from where Over the River and Through the Woods was written. Really? Different era, but different different time. But but the same neighborhood. Uh, And... What I really touch on is the fact that the song is ubiquitous. It's probably the most famous, definitely the most famous Christmas song. Maybe sure. one of the more famous songs of any genre. Yeah. And yet, almost nobody can tell you who wrote it. So mm-hmm. I tell a little bit of the story of the author, the uh, the composer. Wow. That's amazing. I can't wait to listen to that. <laughs> it right. just went up today. <laughs> awesome. And you can find Alan's podcast, It's Also History, uh, on Spotify, just like this one, and on the great Cat Network. Uh, and folks, if you, you want to get in touch with me uh, about the show or maybe you have some movie recommendations, you can always find me at Movies That Matter Pod at Gmail and Movies That Matter Pod on Instagram as well. Um, and I used to have a Twitter, but nobody uses Twitter anymore. <laughs> so, But um, folks, uh, especially during the holiday season, watch what you love, enjoy what you love, uh, get in the spirit of things. Um, don't listen to the critics. Don't listen to the box office. Entertainment is subjective, and that's not a bad thing. Uh, Alan Folds, thank you again for coming on the show. Yeah, you're welcome, and thank you. Thank you, and I've been your host, Chris Flaherty. This has been Movies That Matter. Thank you, happy holidays, and we'll see you next time.